Hello and welcome to the Voice Extra Podcast. Today I am back again with Maddie. How are you doing, Maddie? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm very excited to talk about this because it has just blown my mind ever since I heard about it. <laughs> yeah, I kind of saw this topic and you'll know the topic-ish from the uh, title of the episode, but like, I saw it, it was a bit like, what's going on here? These two <laughs> things, very weird together, but I'm, yeah, it's cool. It's very cool. Um, so yeah, would you like to explain what this podcast is kind of about and what this article that you wrote is about as well? Okay, right, buckle up. So a lot of people will probably have watched the Netflix series Tiger King over lockdown. I was one of them. I was blown away. I thought it was utterly crazy. Um, but it also sounded slightly familiar uh, when it came on. I, I could sense something at the back of my mind, uh, like some kind of deja vu. And I was absolutely right. I looked back through the history of my laptop and I'm a massive sucker for local news stories. I just think local news is brilliant. There's some fantastic characters in there. And at the beginning of the year, I'd come across a local news story that was a flashback, I guess, to these eccentric zoo owners in Wales in the 70s. And I decided, hey, now is the perfect time to make some kind of a parallel and properly investigate who these guys were and their crazy life. The local news story, I must stress, I wasn't nicking their idea. It was just like a photo essay, basically, a set of photos. So I thought I'd properly look into it. And what I found was honestly so much more bizarre, I think, than Joe Exotic. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty, pretty proud of this one. So essentially... In the 70s, uh, well, in the 1960s, actually, big cat zoos were also legal in Britain, uh, not just in the crazy wild west of the US. And that meant that there were a lot of homemade uh, zoos and sanctuaries around the UK, one of which, the first one in Wales, was owned by these two pretty crazy twins um, called Hugh and George Palmer. Now, these guys were pretty bonkers let's be honest during the second world war they were both conscientious objectors and served in the home guard uh, george actually won a, a special medal for it after the time um and so when the 60s rolled around and things were becoming a little bit more free they decided to use their love of animals and their heroic efforts to set up a zoo um, and they kind of collected this zoo from a variety of, of different sources. They got a monkey that was donated to them by a traveling circus. Um, and they had all these bizarre animals, many of which people in Wales had never seen before. So they, I've, I've heard all these crazy stories um, about memories people have from this zoo from a monkey that smoked cigars to an elephant that drank brandy um, and all sorts of life-risking activities that the twins got up to. So that's what you can read about in the article. But what really raised my attention and reminded me very much of Joe Exotic <laughs> was this crazy time in 1977. So the twins always had somewhat of a bad relationship with a local council who were very suspicious of activities but didn't really have any legal reason to shut them down or kind of keep them in their box. So one day the twins decided, hey, we really want a bigger sign for our zoo. We're a bit fed up with how small it is and um, we want more people to come. Uh, they were also struggling with a few financial issues at the time, so they needed more people to come to this crazy zoo. 
So they had to apply for planning permission with the local council. However, the local council um, potentially, um, or allegedly, I should say, um, didn't want to, they wanted to kind of curb their <laughs> their influence in the area. So they decided not to allow planning permission for a bigger sign. The twins were obviously furious. They had a history with, with the council. And on one crazy day, George decided he would take matters into his own hands and stage a protest. So he walked up to the council chamber where they were having a meeting um, and he demanded that the sign, be the plan of mission be, be granted. Um, but just to make a bit of a stir, he brought along with him a huge tiger on a lead he was <laughs> promptly arrested um, and sent back to the zoo. Um, and shortly afterwards, the zoo was in great financial difficulty and had to close. But I just thought that was one crazy story <laughs> in um, what is a history of crazy stories at this at this zoo. So that's what I've written about. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds wild. Like when you're like, oh, yeah, the guy just kind of walked in with the tiger on a leash. It's like, excuse me? <laughs> what's, what's happening it's crazy um, and he regularly yeah. also walked the mountain lion around the town uh, it's a place called barry um it became almost normal i think for locals to to see their crazy exploits but they were very very fond of their animals and they you know would risk as i said life and limb to make sure they were safe and protected so um yeah a crazy bunch of guys <laughs> so what was the zoo like as in, like, more generally? Well, I think it was fairly big, fairly mishmatched and, and cobbled together. Um, they were super busy on weekends. Um, a lot of families came. One of a uh, former employee told me about how on bank holiday weekends, their car park would be absolutely packed full of people. But on a weekday, it was generally quite quiet. And so the the zoo itself obviously took a lot to maintain. So the the pair had to find a way to also make money alongside these packed weekends to sustain the animals and their zoo. So they did some crazy things like they sold the elephant dung to uh, for manure. That got them a little bit of money. They did some pretty crazy things to try and make some money. Um, but it sounds like a really fun place. As I said, a lot of people in Wales have never seen these animals before. So to come face to face with a lion... Um, is is was was a pretty magical thing it does sound pretty cool how did you like find the people to talk to for this story so barry in wales which is where the zoo was is a pretty small place so it didn't it didn't actually come as too much of a challenge um i spoke to a guy called larry from barry who um Actually, he came second. The first person I spoke to, um, he was part of the original local news piece, Cavan Sullivan, and he used to work there as a 14-year-old boy, and he had some amazing stories of his crazy Saturday job. And he put me onto um, my other sources. So uh, he said, oh, hey, you should speak to this guy, Larry. He's also got some crazy stories. Um, so he worked there as a painter, so his memories are a little bit um, fresher, I think, because he was older at the time. And then he put me onto the son of um, George Palmer, uh, Dennis Palmer, who um, unfortunately the twins aren't alive today to tell their story. But um, hopefully I can craft some interesting, um, uh, draw some interesting memories from from the son instead. So that's how I found um, 
the sources, um, but they were absolutely wonderful to talk to. You know, all of them were really up for sharing with me their stories and they had some brilliant fond memories of the place. So we had a good laugh <laughs> writing this. Yeah, it, it does sound like a fun thing to report on. Just, just like cool little local stories. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, yeah, they were really generous with their time. And I think because obviously it happened in the 60s and 70s, um, you know, a lot of people involved um, are fairly old now. So I think for what's interesting as well as a journalist is um, you do end up speaking to some really interesting people who, um, you know, maybe haven't spoken to anyone all day because they're in retirement and they don't have that kind of interaction with, with people through work or um whatever situation it might be so it was just a really great opportunity to um just to talk to people because obviously Wales is a very rural place so yeah I had a, I had a fantastic time talking to them yeah like it's 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 very much not your typical story um so yeah um more broadly what do you think about the kind of ethics behind zoos and why do you think people are motivated to be attracted to these exotic animals? Well, I mean, in this situation, in terms of Barry Zoo, it's evident that George and Hugh just loved animals. You know, some of their methods might be seen as a little bit dated now, but it all came from a really good place. Um, they clearly cared way more about their lives and safety of their animals than their own. <laughs> they regularly got into scrapes <laughs> um, because they are wild animals at the end of the day. So I think in this particular situation, you know, the zoo is of its time. They use practices we might not use today, like allowing 14 year olds to walk alligators around public places on leads, etc. <laughs> Um, but ultimately it comes from a place of care and I think that's um, also what we're seeing today in terms of zoos I think they have a really important place in terms of saving species for example and again um, hopefully raising awareness um, for people to to protect their environment I think they serve a really important place there Um, not to mention a nice family day out I guess yeah I mean (laughs) definitely like going to see some mountain lions in Wales does sound like an interesting day out. Absolutely. And don't get me wrong, of course, there are, you know, a lot of um, notable cases that have come to light in the past few years um, of animal cruelty in these places. And, um, uh, you know, think of thinking of blackfish and sea world. Uh, I personally don't agree we should be keeping giant whales um, kept in enclosures for our own entertainment. You know, there there should be some aspects of of nature that are off limits and that we can't tame you know we can't play god all the time um so things like that and obviously joe exotics the scale of joe exotics zoo for me is um a bit too much i think it was it was clear Mm. that maybe not all the right intentions were there in in that case at least that's the angle they use in the documentary but at least in this country i think we have pretty good laws on animal welfare and again i'm fairly certain that everyone who works in these locations truly cares about the welfare of the animals more than anything else mm-hmm. so at least in this country i think we're good <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're not getting any like wild joe exotic-esque stories in the uk hopefully not anymore um they they introduced a big cat law um a f- something like 25 years ago um to make sure that you can't keep (laughs) um huge animals for your own benefit anymore unless you're a registered zoo so hopefully we're on the legal side of the argument here (laughs) hopefully yeah uh what do you think is like the future of zoos 
uh, more broadly? Do you see their role changing in, in this in the world where the climate and all that sort of stuff is becoming more and more to the forefront? Yeah, um, I think conservation. I think they play a really big part in conservation, and um, I personally support that. Um, you know, I'm I'm just thinking about the secret life um, of the zoo, the the Channel Four show that's on at the moment. I think they do a really good job of showcasing the work that goes into trying to preserve these endangered species. Um, so I think that's really important. But hopefully, um, there will come a time when we have. I mean, this is an ideal world, obviously, but I think the ultimate goal of conservation is to not have to keep them in a cage any longer because there is a big enough population in the wild and there's no significant threats um, that will threaten that anymore. So, I mean, if we're thinking decades ahead, hopefully that will be the scenario. But right now, I think we are dealing with a world in which conservation needs to happen. And I support that. Mm -hmm. So um, what about kind of animals in the UK? So do we think we should keep that only only have zoo animals that are kind of native to here or should we have animals from other locations? So some people would definitely argue that there is kind of a problem in taking all these animals from these various global places and going, yeah, we're just going to have them in the UK. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, bringing it back to the article, I think these exotic animals were actually a really kind of wonderful life experience for a lot of people in Wales um you know a lot of them were probably never able to travel abroad in the 60s and 70s so they didn't have the opportunities that we do to go and see those animals in their natural environment um and yet with that comes a great admiration and appreciation I think largely people that go to a zoo don't go on to um you know, abuse animals, it gives you a certain um, admiration and adoration for for them when you just see how magnificent they are and acknowledge that they're wild. Um, of course, I think it's a different situation now. I mean, um, there was the a story about the Sea Life Centre in the UK. They wanted to uh, import a, I think, some kind of a whale, a, like a small species of whale from Norway. Um, and it was going to take a hell of a big effort to get it from Norway, of course, to the UK. I don't even know how you go about transporting an animal like that. Um, and that's a potentially traumatic experience for the animals. So, yeah, there are a lot of questions, uh, of course, around which animals we should be keeping in captivity in this country. But I guess it's not really for me to say. Um, I'm not an expert. I can only <laughs> offer my own <laughs> opinions. <laughs> yeah, if it helps, I'm not an expert on animals either. So we're both... We're both speculating, we're both thinking, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, just from my experience of talking to these people that have worked in those scenarios, it's nothing but love. So hopefully yeah. those are practices that are being carried out everywhere else as well. But you still think like zoos are important in terms of creating empathy for animals, right? Definitely. And, you know, on a smaller scale, I think aquariums, for example, are, are brilliant as well. Um, you know, the the my limited knowledge of, of the natural world, the sea is is one of the most unexplored places on our planet. And so to be able to bring that to people in an aquarium, um, well, I think it's a bit easier to distinguish between good practice and bad practice, because obviously fish on the whole are a lot smaller <laughs> animals than, you know, wild exotic animals um i think they bring great experiences to people um and also offer a really interesting um employment for people that love animals you know it's um they're bizarre places <laughs> yeah but i guess they're fun they're good in a lot of ways and it's like 
really a case by case thing because not everyone is Joe Exotic, and at the same time, not everyone is these generally nice seeming guys from Wales. So I guess it's a varied thing. Absolutely, yeah, I'd agree yeah. with that. So let's say people wanted to send you like adorable animal pictures, for example, or just talk to you about their own like uh, weird zoos from decades ago. Where would they find you online? Well, I'm definitely up for that, by the way. If anyone has any more crazy zoo stories, send them my way. This has been fantastic. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, at DreamOnMaddie. I also have a YouTube channel where I talk about film. So not quite down the zoo line, but if that floats your boat, <laughs> feel free to hit me up on there as well. Um, but yeah, I'd be absolutely open to talking more about this and any cute photos of tigers. I'm all here for it. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, today's episode was made possible by Voice Magazine, an online platform for young people interested in art and culture. You can read Voice over at voicemag.uk and find it on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as VoiceMagUK. The Voice contributors also run our own Instagram account at VoiceExtra, Voice.extra, sorry. Uh, and you can basically find a bunch of different stuff on there from us living our lives, watching stuff, interviewing people, all that kind of, all that jazz. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider helping us to make more with a donation of any amount at voicemag.uk slash donate. Really, any amount goes a long way. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to, the Voice Magazine podcast has weekly interviews with artists and leaders in the creative sector. And thank you to Kevin McLeod for letting us use the track Shaving Mirror that you're going to hear on the intro and the outro. You can find more of his work at Compotech.com. And also these po- this podcast and all the podcasts at Voice are executive produced by Tom Innes, our editor. And please, please share, review, give it, give us all the stars on iTunes, all that jazz. I don't think it's called iTunes anymore, but you know what I mean. Um, share it, tell your friends, enemies, tell, tell a random zookeeper, why not? Listen to it with your favourite animals. Do what you want to do. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.